Hey guys, on this episode of the Born or Made podcast, I sit down with very old friend and incredible entrepreneur, Marcus Antebi, the founder of the Juice Press all over the country at this point. Super insightful guy. I can't wait for you guys to check this one out. This podcast is brought to you by the one, the only Athletic Greens. I love Athletic Greens. It is the bomb. Uh, I've been using the stuff for the last three plus years. It is the first thing I put into my body in the morning. It is a green superfood supplement. Athletic Greens is filled with tons of good stuff like 75 vitamins and minerals, prebiotics, probiotics. It's a green powder you add to water, uh, shake it up, drink it down, and it is totally delicious and incredibly good for you inside and out. Uh, Go to athleticgreens.com forward slash born. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash born for 20 free travel packs with your first order of Athletic Greens just for you. Thank you very, very much. Marcus Antebi, welcome to the show. That was the worst intro I've ever seen in my life. So, Marcus, uh, first of all, I just want to give you a can brief... Can you leap out cursing? No, we're going to cur- We can curse. I don't like to curse. Okay, um, leave it out. Especially online. I don't want people to think that I'm an uneducated oaf. So, the podcast that you are joining me on today is called Born or Made. And the Born or Made podcast is essentially a place where I get to meet people that inspire me, extraordinary people, leaders of industry, high performers, um, and pose the question... Do you believe you are where you are today because you were born with an innate ability to get there or because it was made over time? Born or made? Uh, well, as far as you're I'm concerned, you wait. prepare me for this. Marcus Antebi is, uh, is someone that I'm extremely excited to have on the show because... Not as excited as if I was Serena Williams, but excited nonetheless. No, I think more than Serena Williams, man. You've inspired because well, like 70 million let me introduce you. A made man. So um, you are. You've made a. I mean, I, I. You know, when I talk about you to other people, not forgetting about what you've done in your life, just in terms of business and 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 the like. Just in terms of what you've done for me in my life. Let's talk about me for a second. You saved my my life. You're one of the guys that I. I believe it. Why don't you call me more often? You, you are, you're one of the guys that sort of saw you me. Got to beg this guy to get him on the phone. You know, struggling when I was in my early twenties. Mm. You, you scooped me up, and you dragged me off the street. You threw me into a ring. You taught me how to be a better person. And so I'm, I'm like, literally, you're one of these guys that that is not only a mentor, but someone that I look up to in, in just so many different ways. And anytime I'm going through shit, that's the only time I call you when I'm going through shit. You know what? I do that. To, <laughs> I do that to my dad still. But you, um, you're, you're, you're just an incredible person. You're a fucking whack job. I love you for it. We're all crazy. Don't make me special. You also happen to have opened up a number of businesses over the years. You, you owned a, a skydiving business for a number of years. You were in the antiques business, the sort of like super high-end, super weird antiques business, selling like millions of dollars worth of antiques to like Mike Tyson. Um, and then your last venture... Uh, I sold Mike Tyson his tiger. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, I never sold Mike Tyson anything, but I like the way that story sounds. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, it, it, like I, I, w- I was thinking like, 
Mike Tyson. Um, Don King. Sold Don him. King. That's sold who Don I was King. thinking. Right. That's a great <laughs> story. A that's a, that's a great story. We're going to get into that story. <laughs> but your last venture was a, was a business called the Juice Press. Uh, Juice Press is uh, obviously has ma made a massive impact, not only in New York, but across the country. Uh, truly revolutionized uh, juice in general. The, you know, your, your juice shop uh, is not the, the, it's not out of the, out of the ordinary to see a juice shop growing up as a kid, but what you did was very unique, very special, and you revolutionized the juice game, um, and it's a monstrous business, um, and so I'd love to talk about that, but you are just an extraordinary dude, and you make me, um, every time I get an opportunity to hang with you, talk to you, um, you inspire me, and you help me, and you've, you've helped guide so many, so many different paths that I've been uh, charting down my life. constructive criticism. You took way too long. You complimented me way too much. I'm not that special. And well, I want to make it clear, everyone's a whack job, and really we're all defined by what level it goes to. I would say if you studied my habits at age 50, you would say I was a very normal person. Okay, so... Let me deal with the post-editing of this I fucking just, podcast, and you can you could just take your controlling shit and put it on the back shelf for the for the for the time. That Wait you're a on second, this show. you said I was your mentor. Why aren't you listening to me now? I I, I take what you say with a grain of salt, man. It takes and there's, several there's months certain to digest things, it. Certain things that I appreciate, certain things you know like, I just hey, put it aside. He's crazy. Anyway, so so you know, I just I you're 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 an interesting guy, and you um you've sort of touch so many people. Uh, and that is, yes, a compliment, but, but actual fact, you know? Like anybody who I know that knows you is sort of like, oh my God, Marcus Antebi, that guy is fucking completely out of his mind and genius. So. Well, thanks. Hold on, what let I'd, me, wait, what, let me just soak that up for a minute. What Oof. I'd love to, what I'd love to be here. able to do is, <laughs> I'd love to be able to, to, to sort of pose the question, right? Um, do you believe people are born with the ability to rise to the top, or do you think that they're made over time? I'd like to get there through your story, because I feel like storytelling is ultimately the best part of these podcasts. Sure, There's so many sure. podcasts I out mean, there. I, I think I can answer that question directly. Let's wait till the end. Wait till the end. It's, it's the um, cliffhanger. Yeah, let's wait till the end. Let's, 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 why don't we go back as early as you can remember, and let's just get your story, man. I want to know your story. I have full recollection of You're being... You're 175 in, years old. I'm 50. I have recollection of being in my mother's womb. Uh, some of it was pretty. <laughs> uh, we could go back right to that moment if you want. I mean, I have, let's start there. Well, I, um, I have black and white images of absorbing my mother's grief, and I also can remember there being jealousy in the room. Then I was born, and there's a little bit of a blackout because I didn't have tremendous uh, breastfeeding time with my mom. She's making up for it now, which I can say it's fine. She's still alive. It's kind of weird, and there aren't really any breastfeeding stations for guys my age. No, I'm just kidding. It's disgusting. Um, but it might not go there. Um, so that is my early recollection. So, but we want to fast forward to something Let, more relevant. I mean, no, no, no. That's, that's, that's incredible. If you can actually remember that. It wasn't... It wasn't uh, done on my own. It was about almost 20 years ago. I had a friend that said, you got to go to this energy healer person. They do blah. And I said, stop, I'll go. Don't set it up. I don't like placebo and I don't like hypnosis. Let me go there and see what it was. Her name was Jessica. It was in Brooklyn. I went to her house. It was lined with spiritual books and all kinds of pictures of famous spiritual people. We started talking for about 15 minutes 
Um, I was very uh, cynical of the experience, except she was a pleasant person, and it was a nice conversation. And she said, well, you know, I do this energy healing thing. You'll lie on the sofa. I'll wrap you in a blanket. And if you're comfortable, I put my hands on your torso. It doesn't get any weirder than that. I said, fine. I like wackadoodle things. So we got to the part where my, her hands were on my chest. I was wrapped in a blanket. My eyes were closed. And I saw what felt like her pointing a flashlight in my eyes. Are you listening to me? I'm listening, man. I'm I know. I feel like no one cares about this story. Um, I got to make it briefer. I saw a spotlight in my eyes. So I opened my eyes and there was nothing there. I closed them again. I saw the spotlight again. I said, what are you doing? I thought she was doing some, something like to manipulate. And she just had her hands on your torso. That's it. I just saw this light in the left side of my eye. It was a very high focused little tiny spotlight. And she tried to get me to relax. And she said, why don't you try to move it from the corner of your eye to the center? And I was able to do that. Open my eyes to see if she was effing mm -hmm. with me, right? And she wasn't. This is a true story. This, this isn't based this is, on a true story. No, this, this is true. This is real. This is real, Mike. Come on. I don't come up with wacky things. So with a little concentration and focus, I was able to shift this little pinpoint light to the center of my head. And then suddenly I was traveling towards this light. It wasn't my body. It was more like my consciousness. And it was a very lucid conversation we had. I wasn't in any kind of trance. Um, I just felt myself moving towards this light. And I stepped into the center of the light. And then I couldn't hold the conversation. I knew something was weird. My eyes started to water. It wasn't like I felt emotional. I just felt water, like, felt like tears coming out of my eyes. It felt like um, really overpowering. And I couldn't hold it. So I opened my eyes. But in the split second that I was there, I felt like I just saw a couple, I had a couple of visions. And one of the visions I had was I was in my mother's womb and there was a very specific feeling that I couldn't identify as a child because I didn't have the words, but I could put a word to it as a grown-up. It was my mother was an unhappy woman and she was always in a state of grief. And I felt in my mother's womb that in order to enable my survival, I had to absorb her pain. That was what I Enable felt. Enable your survival in the womb to actually come. I think it's a natural instinct for a child that sees their parent struggling is that they, in order for themselves to survive, they want to take on the parents. So you, you came into the world with a fucking, with a, with, a, with a suitcase of baggage. I don't know, you know, that I didn't have any deeper vision of what it was like to come into the world. I now know that when I confronted my mother, I, I just did a kind of like a, quick conversation with her. I said, you were very unhappy when you were pregnant. And she started to cry. And then I said to her, is there anyone that you can think of that would be highly jealous of the fact that I was in your stomach? And she said, your father's best friend, Elliot. He was very threatened by the fact that, um, he was, that we were going to have a boy. He was very possessive and needy of your dad. And the fact that you would take away his attention, there was always tension when he was around. Wow. And I, some... I have a recollection of that. And later on in my life, I learned about the subtlety of energy and the work that can be done where it's always happening. It's just that it's not necessarily a good survival tool to sense everything with all the other things that are going on in the world. So you have to be a very, very uh, strong person to be able to handle the actual things that are going on, which require physical energy. In addition to that, all the subtle vibrations around you, all the suffering, all the 
craziness that's around. It's actually energy that's around you, but we have a very good uh, mechanism, I believe, for tuning that out because it doesn't serve us. You know, it's interesting. Um, animals are... That's a, that's a, a crazy story. That's pretty incredible. I want to go see your friend Jessica. Is she still around? You know what? She moved away from New York uh, five or six years ago. I lost contact with Have you her. seen her? Did you go back to her after that one experience? I didn't. Why? I didn't. It was just... Um, you know, I, I, I had an interesting experience. I wanted to process it for a long time, and I didn't want to make a hype out of it. And the truth is, is that there's... That in, in the stage of life that you're in, you can achieve a similar result with different type of work without having to be facilitated by someone. That's what I came to 20 years later at the stage of life I am. It's work that's not really that difficult to do, but you have to be willing to make that journey and there's no express train. It's, it's, it's a systematic approach. You don't necessarily want to open that channel unless you know how to close it. It has to be done almost ritualistically because it doesn't necessarily serve you to carry that kind of pain. So what, what is a system that you would use today to achieve that similar sort of vision or re, real, like realization? Meditation. Slow. Slow drip. Because mm. you ain't going to get it overnight. You know, it takes a lot of years. Meditation is different for everyone. But generally, with a person who's highly distracted, very physical, with certain types of, let's say, disbelief in the system, it could take 25 years of practice before you actually hit something. That would be sad because it's a waste mm. to not get the results. So, much what's quicker. your what's your? Are you? I'm 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 assuming that meditation is a big part of your life now. Meditation became a part of my life when I got sober in AA 35, 34 years ago. Always meditated. The well, whole, the, the whole eleventh step, isn't it? Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with higher power. I followed the steps. But do you always meditate? Is my question. Always. I'm meditating right now. <laughs> I knew you would laugh. Can you, can you... It's actually the truth. Answer, answer the question for me. You, who are you talking to? There's a you're camera talking, pointing at me with the green I don't know. Dude, talking. you're talking to me. What? The person that's watching this will be in front of us, unless you have some trick thing that's going on. They watch the backside of our head. Every once in a while, I'll make reference to them. Okay. Um, meditation. You know, it's interesting. Meditation has definitely come in and out of my life. I have not been... Uh, I have not given it the practice and the consistency that it probably is warranted for the kind of uh, results I'm looking for, potentially. But, wait, you're one of 100 billion people since humanity has risen in this cycle that has a problem with meditation. You're not unique. There's a little thing that gets in your way. It's called your ego. And it's brand new, and it knows everything, and it wants to do everything on its own. So why should you sit quietly and patiently and listen? So the fact that you have a problem with it, it's actually not unique. I don't think I have a problem with it, actually. I, I, I think that if I wanted it, if I wanted it bad enough, I would do it. And it's not something that I, I, I want bad enough at this time in my life. I, I think it's like saying, if I wanted happiness and I wanted my arms bad enough I'd keep them you have to actually it took me to just be truthful about my situation it took me a lot of years of forceful meditation getting nothing maybe at least it was just the intention of showing up for that mm. that had a benefit but actually within it I got nothing 
except there was a breakthrough for me. When I would sit down quietly to meditate, the first thing I would do is feel agitated. I didn't like the stillness. The second thing was I felt cynical. What am I doing? This is stupid. What am I, what am I trying to achieve? So there was no end game. There was no result. It wasn't like if I do this for 15 minutes, I get paid $6,500. There was nothing to it. The next thing was that when I would actually sit long enough, what would happen with my eyes closed is it would be like being in a sports bar with 100 TV screens. All of a sudden, every single TV screen, which represented a different thought that would rise, would be turned on. It'd be like being in this dark room with TV screens everywhere. It, there was the violence screen, the I'm um, the greatest screen, the angry relationship, the mommy-daddy issues, the what's this guy doing, I'm going to do this. This screen's everywhere playing. So it actually was a very noisy, uncomfortable room. And I felt like I didn't know what I was doing. Like when you go to the gym, it's simple. If you're going to do a 70-pound bicep curl, you're either doing it or you're not. With meditation, there was no sense of achievement. It was just me being in a noisy room, agitated. So that's why I stopped doing it until I found an accidental great teacher. And also it was I came of age. When you start to get older, as the body begins to contract, the opportunity for an expansion of your consciousness becomes more... Who was the teacher? It came from a very weird place. It came from uh, my general contractor who built 16 of my stores. On the sideline, he was a Native American Indian shaman. And he gave me some tips. He sat down with me and gave me some advice about meditation. And he said the right things. You know, it's kind of like having an AA sponsor that doesn't necessarily say the right things to you, so you make limited progress, but then suddenly you meet someone who just has a way of communicating with you where you can see what the investment will be, what the return on your investment will be for the time put in. Mm -hmm. But I can say very clearly that a life without having the ability to control your thoughts and be able to push the ones that don't serve you away is essentially like being helpless. It's like drunk driving and you'll wake up one day and you will be 60 and you'll laugh and you'll say, oh my God, when I was a kid, it was amazing what motivated us. We were very good people, highly motivated human beings, but we were really just pursuing the pursuits of the body and the ego. We didn't really have a way of tapping into something much greater in us, which would have served the ego much better because the results are greater. It just takes a lot of patience. It's a very subtle thing. It's like, so this happens recently, that, that, that somewhat recently, that you made this breakthrough. It was drastic because, but not really. It was 25 years in the making and my meditations were so extreme. When I said to you, I'm meditating right now, I know it sounds stupid, but it's actually the truth. I'm, I'm very focused, I'm very present, I'm very mindful. That's meditation. I'm not closing my eyes. It doesn't look like what you see it look like in the movies or in a book. But to think that anything in your life isn't a moving meditation is not being mindful. It's not being present. Mm -hmm. So that's what this whole thing really comes about, full circle, is it's the ability to be in the present moment. That really is the ultimate achievement. Not be in the past, the future, or be swirling around in a tornado of thinking. Gotcha. Um, all right, let's thank you for that. Let's. I hope it means something no, to somebody. No, I'm sure it will. I think, I think that we should 
segue into your story. And I know that that's a part of it. But I think that we could try to figure out how to get to from your experience that you had with that woman, which was super incredible. That I would love to meet someone like that. Um, and, and start from your next earliest memory. Because the idea here is to, is to really understand who you are. And everybody has a story. Very few people tell their story um, sort of in detail um, or even know what their story is. And I believe that human beings for thousands of years truly enjoy the art of storytelling. They love to listen to stories. The podcasts that I like are really story podcasts. Even though I do enjoy interview-style podcasts, I feel like the interview podcasts that I have really, truly enjoyed that have stood out to me have been um, stories. I understand. You know, the storytelling, it's kind of like a... um it works with children. When I'm talking to my daughter, who's 12 years old, and I become extremely intellectual mm-hmm. and really appeal to, trying to appeal to logic, it's like it's going in one ear and out the other. She zones out. If I make it into a story and I have some humor to it and there's characters and it's third party, she thinks about it. And sometimes she gets it a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. So I can understand that. That What you're saying is basically is you need a sort of a distraction or a lullaby to, so that your, so a certain part of your brain can actually absorb the fable or the moral to the story. I'm not a great storyteller. I'm very mathematical. I try to explain, even meditation, I try to explain it to people in a very methodical, mathematical way. And I can understand that that becomes very boring. I don't think it's boring. I think that, you know, there's an, like, I have somewhat of an agenda with the podcast and just in, you know, like, I think the goal for me is to, is to have an amazing conversation and, and, and understand who you are because I think, you know, I think you're one of these guys that really sort of brings something very unique to the table. Um, it's all brand new. You don't even know me. You haven't spent time with me. The biggest epiphany I had in the last year of my life was that I was governed by my ego. For the last 49 years. Completely. Now, luckily, I was a good person. I wasn't robbing banks and killing people and raping women. If I look back at my life, I have really nothing to be ashamed of. But I was allowing the youngest and newest part of me to move me through a world where I had much greater experience embedded in me, sort of like the knowledge that lives in a seed. Every plant, for example, when the seed sprouts, it has all the knowledge of that entire plant's history at the moment it begins to raise up out of the earth towards the sun. I found a deeper source for me to tap into, so to speak, and it includes my ego, because my ego will never go away, and I'm not being cliche. And I just want to be clear to you that I think the word spiritual is ridiculous and asinine. It's part of the story. It's a word like Santa Claus to me. No offense to anyone who follows that. It's just nonsense. Because everything in this world is a spiritual event, so to speak, but not really. It's very... Wait, let me explain it. If someone says, oh, he's a very spiritual person, then what they're doing is they're making everything else not spiritual. 
We're all spiritual people. We're all on a quote-unquote metaphysical journey. And it just so happens to be that we're piloting what feels like a material body, and it feels very separate from spiritual, but the physical body is a very quote-unquote spiritual thing. Well, I, you know, when I think of spiritual, I, think, I don't think that if somebody says, oh, he's a real spiritual guy, that person is essentially saying that the others around him or, the, or other people are not spiritual. I think that there are certain people that are, <clears throat> are, have gone through some sort of adversity or not, um, but potentially are just closer to, uh, closer to this ability to be open, this ability to uh, not be as judgmental. To um, What do you mean by judgmental? Meaning, if, if you told me right now, hey, Mike, I've been doing something uh, for the last six weeks that's been groundbreaking for me. Um, you know, I meditate, uh, you know, lying upside down with my, you know, with blindfold. I like, I could, I could look at that and say, oh, Jesus. Well, I just want to distinguish the difference between what you're saying. You're saying that you're being less snap judgment, like immediately to a judgment that may not reveal the truth. Because ultimately, in order for you to be in the physical body, you have to make incredible judgments at every second of the day. And ultimately, in our lives, we definitely have judgments about good and bad, high and low, happy, not happy, things that we like, dislike, that surround us everywhere. But it's the idea that we make snap judgments that prevent us from seeing perhaps a greater truth. Yes, but I also believe that there's just certain people that are just not open to any sort of uh, mindfulness in, in the sense of, of how you've used the word mindfulness. Right. Like being, you know, there are just certain, like my stepfather would never, ever, in a billion years, ever sit in a room cross-legged and try to breathe quietly. Right. With, well, with, any, I, with that goal you know in mind. what I do with nowadays? I just blame the teachers. I don't blame the students anymore. If he's like that, then to me, this is a judgment, he's a little kid who hasn't touched anything. He hasn't seen it, which is fine. I'm not by trying the way, to, By I the think... way, I'm not trying to convert him, but I think it's a duty for everyone to keep trying to wake everyone up because when we all wake up collectively as an organism, we improve. I would just like to point out one thing, and I, though, and I think, and I think that, that that sort of alludes to the sort of premise of the, of this podcast, which is this born or made thing. I believe, for me, I believe certain people were not only born or made to achieve, but I believe that certain people, like myself, I was born with, you know, I've been told I'm an old soul my whole life, right? My whole life. That was a snap judgment, right? It was. And I love, you don't know what if it was good or bad though. It was it was bad. Um, no, it wasn't. It was it was like <laughs> no. Come back to it. It's important. Okay, but how could you put an age on something that's ageless? If a soul, where souls are born, is there a soul factory? Everyone's new. It makes no sense. So when someone says you're an old soul, what they're just really saying is rhetoric. If you're an old soul, then so am I. Okay, got it. So, but, but, I, but, I, but I believe that, that I am, from as early as I can remember, more open to uh, practicing things that, that require curiosity and discovery more so than 
your average person, right? Like my grandmother was a spiritual person. Whether you want to use, you know, like whether you say spiritual is asinine or not, from the, when I think of spiritual, I think of my grandmother. My grandmother was a practicing Buddhist. She meditated four hours a day. She was a stone healer. So all these things. I was exposed to that at a very young age. And I don't know if that's why I've been more open to spirituality and the universe and things of that nature. Um, it's likely that that plays a part in it. It's not the only thing. So I believe I was born with the... I, I believe I was born... Um, with the ability to receive that information and not judge it immediately. I, I, I believe think that, that you're right. You know, and the, the, the born or made thing, if, if that's important for the show, I think that it's the right way I would say it is born and made. I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's both. It has to be both because you're born with an innate talent. Let's say you're very fast because of the way that your body engineered is engineered. Specific muscle groups are more formed. It happens all the time. Some people don't have that. So you're born that way. With training, a person excels at whatever they're talented at. There's no guarantee if a person is born a great singer that they're going to have a hit record. Mm -hmm. And they have to practice. They have to go out and do it. So I think in the born or made category, it's a combination of both, and it's different for everyone. Some people have extraordinary talent, and very little uh, craftsmanship had to go into developing it. Some people have dyslexia when they're born, and they go on to be great scholars because they educated themselves. So I think it's a combination of both. Certainly in my own story, I would definitely say that, of course, if you look at my history, I was born to be a retailer and to be a merchant and to understand arbitrage and to have a key to a store. It's some... 11 generations of merchants going back to the Syrian desert where my family were probably trading um, uh, you know, spices with, with other people. Here's a camel, I'll give you my wife, whatever, you know, something like that. I'm sure that there was... Well, can we just talk about Marcus at like yes. 11? Like 11? 11, 12, do you remember that? Wow, yes. Um, Heading into adolescence. You know, my family... Was my family of origin, we'll say it to be simple, was dysfunctional. My father was a high-functioning alcoholic. My mother was his codependent and had her own issues. Um, their marriage, by the time I was 11, was basically a year from, away from being over. Um, they did a geographic from New York to California to try to tidy up their life, which began a new chapter in my father's life where he started to make money, and it certainly was the death blow for their marriage. They got divorced. My mother moved back to New York. So by the time I was 11, you know, there was a lot of chaos in my life. And uh, there, were, there were no heroes in that story. You know, so um, I had the classic low self-esteem at that age. I didn't, I didn't really have anything to make me feel special about myself. I wasn't extraordinarily looking. Extraordinary looking. I wasn't a great athlete or uh, a um, prodigy piano player. I was really nothing. I was just little me. And that's very scary when you're in a strange land and you don't fit in and your mother moves back to New York and your dad is your caretaker and he's always working. Uh, I was left to figure out life for myself to a large degree. My dad was present, but really only at nighttime. And his lessons were very sophisticated. They weren't necessarily the lessons that you would feed an 11-year-old uh, you know, he taught me a lot about uh, gambling, 
uh, womanizing uh, and topically, you know, alcoholism, smoking, overeating, uh, overspending, womanizing, great teacher in that regard. So it's no wonder that by age 13, I discovered smoking. You know, it was, it was a language that I already Cigarettes. Spoke. Yeah, it was. The first thing for me was just doing this thing that everyone did at that time, mm. every grown-up, and trying to feel grown-up, trying to connect to something. And I hated smoking from the very beginning because it was horrible, it was toxic, and I had a, an aversion to addiction. It was the addiction right from the very beginning that damaged my sense of self, being completely powerless. Were you addicted control. to anything before you tried cigarettes? No. No. You don't, you don't remember having no, any? No, it was purity. I was very pure. I was, you know, I had my problems. I had no compulsions. There's an age of innocence where literally you're just a receptor to the problems. And they start to one by one chip away at your resistance. Mm -hmm. And there's a perfect moment in your life where... You now feel what we would qualify as anxiety, which is just a buzzword. It's a nonsensical word, too, in my opinion. But you're, you're, for just the conversation, I would say anxiety is a good, it's a good way to get the conversation. Why do you going. think anxiety is not a real thing? I'd say it's not a real thing. I just don't think it properly, it, it's too limiting of a description. When you, when you say anxiety, it sounds like a disease, it sounds like a mental illness, when really what we're saying is it's a soul sickness that's, a humanity thing. It's everywhere. It's prevalent. It has been for hundreds of generations, and we can see the origin of it. But why, why is anxiety not necessary? Because it, it's really, it's too small of a word to describe. So you need a bigger word? I don't, I'm, if I had to sit down and think about it or explain it, it would be the topic of a different show. I think when a person says, I have anxiety. It's a blanket statement? It's, it's, no, it, 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 it's like a curse word. It doesn't serve me. Yes, of course you have anxiety. There's volcanoes. The globe is warming. Trump is president. You got to go out and make more money. You know, 10,000 years ago, there was saber-toothed tigers, and, you know, somebody was trying to come and kill you. There's a lot to have anxiety. It's a kind of a human condition. The thing that we're really talking about in the modern age is that people do not have a grounded sense of what's really happening in reality. And that, of course, is what generates this thing called anxiety. And what we have in the current world we live in, it's been like this for quite a long way, is we have things that we can reach out to to try to quiet the anxiety, but they're not skillful. They don't actually succeed in that thing. And so we can very easily spend our entire adult life literally reaching for those things and not quite getting the result that we wanted. You mean just Band-Aids, drugs and alcohol? It's everything. And... It's spending. It's career. It's, it's um, acquiring material possession. It's obsession with the passage of time. The obsession with self, it's such a limited view of what's happening. And I feel like for people like you and for me, we spend a lot of years of our lives unfolding that. And hopefully, when you hit a certain age, you literally break through and shed a lot of it, and it doesn't change a lot. You're not going to suddenly just wear robes and beads and turbans and namaste people. That's not what it looks like. That's the big mistake. It could be that. There can be people that have reached that and are walking around and saying namaste, but that's not what it is. 
It's, very, it's, it's present in the guy shining shoes. If he's mindful and present, and he's doing his duty, <clears throat> mindful and present, doing his duty, then he's in a meditation while he's shining shoes, and he wants to be nowhere else. He could be awake too. So it's not really based on a condition, and it doesn't have to be called anything. Just because I made some money, or I have a certain car, or my wife looks a certain way, or I got my abs down this summer, <clears throat> does not mean I'm awake. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm talking about. Okay. Let's pause right there for a second to get a quick word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by 10,000. Now, I've tried nearly every workout short there is over the years and have always been frustrated that it's way too hard to find the perfect pair. That's until I discovered 10,000. 10,000 makes the highest quality, best fitting, and most comfortable training shorts I've worn, period. At the core of 10,000 are three premium training shorts built for all the ways you train. One is built for versatility, one's built for durability, and one is built to be super lightweight and fade away while you train. They've got you covered no matter what you do, whether you're a crossfitter, you do hit, you're a runner, you just lift, weekend hiking, whatever it is, they got you. Just pick the short that's best for you and how you train, and then you get the opportunity to personalize it for your individual needs with custom liners and inseam options. My favorite short is definitely the session short. I use a five-inch inseam with a built-in liner, and it's become my go-to for pretty much every session I do in the gym or out of the gym. Uh, the session is super lightweight, has an insanely comfortable liner, and includes a permanent anti-odor treatment, which is awesome. Every order gets free shipping, free exchanges, and free returns. Head over to www.10,000.cc. That's 10,000.cc. Use promo code BORN20 at checkout for 20% off your first purchase. After you put this gear through some workouts, I think you'll agree that these are definitely the best training shorts and the only training shorts you'll ever need. And by the way, what I'm talking about is useful in making money. So if we want to tie it back to goals, what I'm actually saying is an express train to tapping into your power to reach your goals faster. That should appeal to people. So, so just, just know that, that I don't, that for me, the goal of, of, of this conversation is not to tie anything back to success and financial sort of you know, material, uh, even goal setting. The goal for me here is to really understand, uh, and I think the goal of the show is to really just have the conversation of whether people, certain people are born with, with the ability to, to crush at life, right? Like, I, you know, like, I, when I look at you... Can I ask I, you a question? Yeah. Would you say that a full paraplegic with Parkinson's disease, who struggles every day just to go to the bathroom and get placed in a wheelchair and go from point A to point B, would you say they're crushing it in life? If they're happy. Okay. I just want to make sure that we're clear. That, yeah. That, so what I we're think really it's a mental thing. It's a mental thing. When you say happy, if you had to describe that to a 12-year-old, wouldn't you say happiness is acceptance of the present moment? I would, that's a great way to put it, but, but I think that it's got to be more than that. I think happiness is uh, being at ease with yourself and, and, and appreciating and being Semantics. grateful. Semantics. We're saying the same thing. Yeah. I promise you we are. 
What we're saying is that happiness isn't contingent, painful, as painful as this is to say. It is not contingent upon anything in an external condition. Oh, it's, all, it's an internal thing. It's an internal thing. 100%. And, and so I just laid it out. This is years of exploration, banging my head over a pole. It's written in every religion, Buddhist book, Hindu book, whatever book, the ancients, the Native American Indians, the aboriginals. Happiness is acceptance of the present moment. Because that's really all there is, is what's happening now. Mm -hmm. It's nothing external. Yeah, but I, I, I hear you there. I hear you there. I, I think... Why are my shoes off? You took them off. I was just trying to be stupid. This is not really a thing that I would do. I'm just trying to be ridiculous. I just want to be clear. You know so, <laughs> I, I think happiness is, 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 is not only accepting what's going on in the present moment, for sure. I mean, that's, that's, that's great if you're able to accept every single thing in the present moment. Um, but there's got there's, there's to be, like like be a light inside of you that makes you feel good. I think happiness has, has, has a direct line to feeling good. Uh, I, I believe that. Which is a huge judgment, which is fine. I'm not taking that away. I'm just saying. Feeling yeah. good, you have to be able to judge because good has a judgment and a backdrop of bad. So let's just be clear from the beginning that if the prerequisite for being happy is feeling good, you're setting yourself up for something really painful in the future because there's no guarantee that you'll always, quote unquote, feel good. But I can guarantee you with practice, practice, you can accept whatever is but, happening but in I, the present moment. I think life, I, I don't think happiness is something that's, that's, I don't think people are just happy forever. I think that... Happiness is a is an average of hills and valleys, right? Like if if, if you can if you can you sure, know of course. average if if your ups and downs average net out to content and happiness, like and content and feeling good about yourself. Because I think at the end of the day, if you open up your eyes in the morning and you hate who you are, you hate the person that you're living in, um, you know, you got no shot. Uh, Depends. You know, a person can condition themselves to be very happy in hatred. It's 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 just making clear that we're all we're going into now is listen. <laughs> you're, we're going, a, you're you're a tough guy to talk to, but no, like no 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 because I'm, I'm not gonna I'm gonna talk to you the way I've always talked to you about recovery and about life, and that's to eliminate stupid thinking. If we're talking about mathematics, which is what we are, because it's all about math and semantics now, words are very important here. And so it's very careful for your own self that you don't set yourself up to fail. The, the, the happiness, of course, if you're taking a lot of you know, pharmaceutical drugs, you could be happy and woozy back in your chair. That's not what we're talking about. What you just described as happiness to me is a huge component of acceptance. It's a person who's been told they have a terminal disease and they're going to be dead has been told the worst of all news. They could find content, a content place in their mind, and they can be happy. I've seen it. It's possible. Sure. So one would say that true happiness is not based on walking out of a great movie, you know, picking popcorn out of your teeth. Yes, that's a joyful, pleasurable moment. True happiness is an understanding of the true nature of reality, and your acceptance of it in that moment, being present. That doesn't mean if there's something in the present moment, like there's a fire, you go, 
I accept the fire. It's burning for a reason. No, go get some fucking water and put out the fire. That's not what I'm saying. Of course, you wouldn't mistake to think that I wasn't a person of action. Although a true Buddha would sit cross-legged and say, let it burn. I'm not that and probably will never get there because I don't think I believe in that. But I can fully understand why when they talk about fully enlightened people like a Buddha, for example, where there's absolutely no attachment and there's nothing to teach, there's nothing to do except sit and receive. If there was a fire burning, they'd say, let it burn. That doesn't serve us. Mm -hmm. What we're saying is something totally different. It's the ability for you to feel good in the gut right now. Do you ever, I got a question for you. Do you ever feel like you don't have to teach when you talk? Like, do you ever feel like you can just talk and and not, it's not mandatory that you're teaching something? All the time. You do? All the time. Because you, you are a teacher, there's no doubt about well, it. You've been a teacher all, for me. Remember, I'm 50 years old. I see a lot of myself in you. And the relationship that you and I have has never been equal. As far back as I can remember, if I had said, you've never done anything ever for me, ever. And I have no resentment. I love you. <laughs> Except, wait, let me say this. And I've never really done anything for you, ever. I've never done anything. I've never gotten you a birthday gift. I never got you a card, vice versa. I love the intro. You said I was a mentor, a great, oh my God, unbelievable. But we've actually, the relationship we have is such that we talk to each other. You're always teaching me. You communicate differently. Certainly, if I wanted to come to you and say, how do I manage a restaurant? I would sit and listen and say, teach me. The relationship that I have with you privately in a back room when we're talking, nothing weird, or sexual or jokes or anything like that, is I look at you as a guy that has extraordinary talent, a lot of drive, very strong, made your physical body. You have a high threshold for pain. You rip to shreds your body with tattoos. You know, I get you. I really get you on so many different levels. What I also see in you, and this is not a snap judgment, is you have an incredible barrier of how you allow information in. It's almost like you either have to be beat over the head with a brick with it, or you have to say, I'm ready, I accept it. So what I'm doing with you right now, I'm not even aware, I don't care about the cameras. Who's gonna see this, 10 people? I'm talking to you like a brother, like a brother. A guy I actually love. If you drop dead tomorrow, I'd be sad. I'd shed a tear, and I might bring a rose to your graveyard, maybe, I don't like graveyards. But I'm talking to you the way I would always talk to you. I'm trying to help you, I'm trying to help you to not suffer. I want nothing from you. And anything I'm teaching you, I'm teaching myself at the exact same moment. I'm learning, I'm regurgitating it from my mind, and it's a a fist fight. It always, when we talk about stuff like this, it should never be an easy conversation. You should challenge everything I say, and vice versa, because we're trying to get to the truth. Mm. And what's the ultimate mission? To be of service. You know that. Yeah. Okay, so the idea here is let's cut the bullshit. This, if this, this program, this video is designed to do one thing, if you got one listener and it inspired them to do better, we had a great, great success. So what, what is there to talk about? It's about awakening, awakening to the truth. You know, I, 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 I'm, I... Please buy my book. 
<laughs> I Stop think book, I'm kidding. I think that you have a way of looking at questions that come your that, that rec- you have a way of receiving questions and you rarely allow and this is just me being honest with you you ra- rarely allow people to lead a conversation it it never you know and so when you say things like i've taken sort of my ego my i've been i've been you know sort of dragged by my ego over the last 49 years or so um and you know i think that when i when i talk to you and that's why i wanted you on the show because you are an inspirational person in my life i think that it's very difficult for you to just be led through a conversation it's, you you like i keep going like this because you you basically flip it every, almost every i'm going to flip it right now i'm going to say i can hold your projection you're projecting a lot of yourself onto me and i can hold it for the purpose of both of us should have a breakthrough. The easy thing for me to do is say, look, the thing that you're pointing out, I'm assuming that you don't like it. No, I'm, I'm like, okay. I'm actually, I'm, I'm sitting here listening. I'll openly say, you know what, Michael, I'm an asshole. Don't kill the messenger. If I'm delivering a good message to you, all right, you know what, look at me. I'm ugly. I got a lot of tattoos. You know, I'm a weirdo. As you said before, completely out of his mind. You have a prejudice of me. You always did. No What's matter the what prejudice? I, you see, and you've expressed this to me, I'm not guessing or judging, you see a lot of the things in my lifestyle as me being a wacko, being crazy, but very well contained. Thank God I had a business, a job, I made some money. I have all the right accoutrement so that you don't compare me to a homeless person. I cut my fingernails, you know. Let me tell you, let me, let me, let me, let me point camper. out. No, no, no. <laughs> There, there's a number of, there's a number of, so Muay Thai kickboxing, right? You introduced me to Muay Thai kickboxing, became a massive part of my life, changed my life, love Muay Thai, still love Muay Thai, don't do it as much as I'd like to, but I still love it. In the gym, you are known as being a little crazy. Once known. I changed. You don't, you know, it's yeah, but, not, but, but talking, it you're was, going back 10 years in our history, Michael. Okay. Maybe, maybe not, but I can guarantee you, you sit down this with This is it. like sibling, sibling rivalry now. Watch <laughs> what I'm about to do. By the I way, mean, what do you think you're known in the gym for? I have no idea. Do you, give it, tell me. It's, it, Being an asshole? No, I think that, that it's important that you focus in on what I'm known for. It's your show. I'll tell you on the sideline. I'll just say. I would that. like to know. I would like you to say it. Say it. Because I think. Irrelevant. Because it's also way behind in the past. You're a different person. I can't say who you're known for today in the gym. Very different person. You, you've just. I, I think that you know very well that you have a unique personality. Arrogant? That's what I was in the gym. I came to that gym like I no, owned the place. No, I don't even know if it was arrogance. I well, think then if you had to say, Marcus, what did you, what do you, who, when you were fighting and you were actually at the top of that game, I came to the gym with the idea that I was the center of the universe. It was my gym, and I came there to get what I wanted from it. And I wouldn't say that I had an understanding of the full experience of it. It took me retiring from fighting slowing down my career. Obviously, I'm not getting bashed in the brains anymore. 
And it was really the one-on-one -on -one training with Steve that I still do, where I actually understood him and what he was trying to teach me. And it really was a conversion, where I understood what was at stake for me years ago was my self-esteem. I was trying to prove myself through something. It's not like that anymore. Now, for me, it's the love of the movement. And it's the interaction. It's the mindfulness in that moment, concentrating. It's the self-mastery. So it's very different for me. But I'm just curious, why is it, I'm just, and maybe it's just because you've hit a certain point in your life where like everything has to be some sort of a teaching or a lesson or whatever. But it just sounds like you're not able to actually appreciate life in, 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 a, layman's, in a layman's way. Like, you, it sounds like everything that, that comes. What, what the fuck is layman about me? I'm just saying to you <laughs> that like everything that comes your way, every, every question that I've thrown at you or every comment that I've made towards you, you've spun as some sort of teaching or a lesson. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know that this was the Kardashians. We'll keep it light. We'll but stay on no, the surface. No, no, no. I'm, sorry. I'm just, and, and, and I'm just. I thought, I thought we were deep. <laughs> but I'm just, I just think that it's, it's interesting that, that there's not an opportunity for just like levity. Let's make it. I'm very, le I am, first of all, I love this because where's your sense of humor? Everything I'm saying is ridiculous and funny. A different, <laughs> so my, my, friend, my friend Ralph on my podcast takes what I say and he makes fun of it. And we make it funny. But, but, no, 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 but, but I, it's not, <clears throat> dude, I'm not condemning you. I'm just saying that I believe what's coming out of your mouth, you are actually, you actually 100%. And that's why when I say you're a bit out of your mind, like everything that comes out of your mouth is, is, as if you are a statue that people are uh, expecting to learn from. Well, I appreciate that. That's your opinion. But do you not feel that about yourself? No. You don't? No. Not at all? Not even a little. Marcus. I don't. But, but the teachings and the lessons that you... you this room, you put a microphone on me and it's an interview... This room brings that up in me right now. I'm not like that. If there's 24 hours a day, I'm like this for one hour out of the day. I'm busy doing 23 hours out of the day. If you came to me and said, I have a problem. I want to write a manual for uh, training purposes. I'll go into that mode. If you said, let's go to the gym and beat the living shit out of each other. There's no talking. It's just gloves on and let's go. Let's blast away. This, you personally bring out that side of me and where it's I wonder why though. I, I'd like to know why. Because it's you interesting. You want me to say why? Me. Yes. Because you say stupid things. Your questions, they're ridiculous. Like what? Everything. <laughs> as, as a person born or made, that to me is romper room. It's, it's children's play. I'm going to answer it. By the way, I'm, I'm being an asshole right now because I do feel a little bit attacked. So I'm attacking back, <laughs> and we're getting light. We, we want to just like becoming like the Jerry Springer show. So you, you ask me questions that are the questions that I'm, I'm, we're going head to head since we're talking honest. Let me say it in a nice way. You ask me questions that require a teaching as an answer. There's nothing light about what you're saying. Are people born or made? It's a deep question. Mm -hmm. And I want to answer it with accuracy. I don't have a light answer to it. I want to say what I said. People are both born with talent and it's cultivated. It's made. I think I answered the question with thought and care. Would you say that wasn't, I didn't have enough 
No, I, think, I don't think that there's an answer. I don't right. think there's an answer to the question. That's why I love the conversation. Okay. You could think it's a, it's a By stupid... By the way, we do this on the phone all the time. But you, you could think it's a stupid question. I, don't, I want to take that back. But, that was really mean. Oh, that's okay. But that you, was like me punching you in the nose. I'm sorry. No, no, no. You can. By, by all means. You could think it's a stupid question. I personally believe that it's a very interesting question because I don't believe that there's an, a right answer or a wrong answer. I have my opinions about it. But I look at myself and I look at people that I like you that you know I, I am inspired by um, but what what is it that you're inspired by that you can say that I'm your mentor but when I'm mentoring you you wait wait you push back on me because you always do that you're actually doing it a little now you're actually I want to be very clear with what you're saying I am defensive you you're the, the things that you're actually saying to me are making me Self-conscious, because you're a close friend, self-conscious of my deep desire to teach, as if I don't have a very deep desire to learn. I spend all of my time learning, reading, talking to my mentors. I call my, one of my mentors, Fred Bishi, once a week. I got off the phone with my father before I got here. He was mentoring me. My wife is my mentor. I have a lot of people that I think I go to and say, teach me. So I do actually feel painfully self-conscious of what you're saying as though I have to defend a position, which is that I am a very deep thinker that could be kickboxing while I'm thinking. I have that capacity. I actually find it funny that I found 15 years of skydiving to be a very deep contemplative form of meditation and thought about my life. I wasn't getting drunk and just being lighthearted. I had fun skydiving. I had enjoyment. But I was always a very deep thinker. And that's what I think is the best part of me, is how thoughtful I am about the things that I say and what I'm doing and my relationship with you. And I love you. I don't know why. But you make it hard for me sometimes to want to actually talk to you because I do find what you're saying to be curious. I don't understand it. I'm your mentor, I'm your teacher, but when I'm teaching, I'm flipping it. I'm, I'm confused. So you have to help me understand what that means. Um, I think you potentially are looking a little too deep into the mentorship thing because I feel like when you have a mentor, it's not only, it's not only a mentor-mentee dynamic. It's a, you, you and I are friends. And I have other mentors that, uh, you know, people that I call to um, when I, you know, need a specific, need help with a specific thing or just check in with on a regular basis and check in and let them know that, you know, what's going on in my life. And so I think, I, sometimes I think that, you know, when you and I have a conversation about things, I've learned so much from you, no doubt, whether you think so or not. Um, but I think sometimes if I, if I pose a question, I don't think it's necessary that like, and maybe this is just me feeling like you defensive when I'm just like, Hey, let's have a conversation. And then you try to tell me how to like live my life or try to potentially project a, something that you're going through. It's interesting that you find anything. I'd love, I'm glad we're recording this. We're going to go back to the tape. <laughs> It's this interesting. Is fucking awesome. It's interesting that you find what I'm saying to you as a me attempting to tell you how to live your life. 
when you're directly interviewing me and asking me a question about something and I'm giving you my perspective on how to do it. So I think that what you might want to consider, this is me telling you now how to do something, which you might want to consider, your mentor is telling you, your favorite guru, whatever you want to call me, is you might want to consider why you feel that way towards what I'm saying. And because you, you, you said something to me about us being in business. You felt at one time that for you to involve me in your business would be difficult for you because you wouldn't want to, you don't want to feel like I would take it over. And I never argued with you on that point. I don't think that that's what I did in the last two businesses that I had was successful. I think the reverse. I started something very complicated, worked at it like an animal, built it up, and what I did was surrender it to make it bigger. I gave it over to someone who was appropriate. It was the exact opposite of me taking over and smothering someone. It was clearly a case of me giving in and surrendering. So with you, I think it's really interesting how you feel like what I'm talking about. Let's talk about recap. Meditation, uh, being present in the moment, how you feel as though I'm talking at you, not talking with you. I guess this conversation has just taken a turn in, in, a, in a way that I didn't anticipate because I, I you know, like there you know, there, there, there's an agenda for the podcast. It's, it's, uh, it's, and, and, and as the host of the podcast, my goal as a host is to try to, to just try, like if things go, just try to like, so thank God bring them right back thank up. Thank God it's your only your third show because you got to get comfortable with the guest that veers you and bring it back. Yeah, so like the, the goal for me is to just try to figure out how to go from to like like a little bit back. I and thought so, we were on track without a script. <laughs> I really thought we were on track. So so like that's what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to like bring it back to like because dude, I know you have like a really interesting story and 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 I and I was hoping to get it, but we're about my story. Minutes. My, my story is simple. I was born. I've had an extraordinary life with so many different events in it. And right now, I'm here in the present moment. <laughs> it's such a great story. And I, and I regret nothing that we said to each other. I would say that personally, between each other, we should work on the... Sub I, I've always known this. We've known each other how long now? 15 years. There's always been this weird sibling rivalry between us. I'll look into it myself. The fact of the matter is, I am how much older than you now? 12, 13 years? What are you, you're 50? I'm 50. Yeah, 12 years. So I met you when I was 23, and you were 40. I'm, that's right. 35. That's a big jump backwards. Um, the, the essence of our relationship is I do see you like a kid brother, and that's not a bad thing. I see you as one half of a generation before me, not quite. Mm. And when I talk to you about life, I just want to help you. That's not a bad thing. At all. And I, and I right. do, and I, I appreciate and it. And when I talk to you, especially in the last year, I know that you know that the last few times that we've talked, I'm a different person. There's a whole different message that comes out of me. It's not the same thing. Mm -hmm. In the conclusion of what I'm saying is, it's never been different from the day I met you. All I had was the best interest of your help. If I was talking to you about something to do with psychology or an action take, I never wanted anything from you. The way I see it now when I talk to you, it's still the same thing. It's not like I'm trying to diminish anything you've accomplished. I just don't think accomplishments mean anything. It doesn't make a difference how big you become in your career. I'll still be your older brother suggesting to you how you might want to think. 
I'm saying to you, if you don't already feel unbelievably successful by just being, then maybe we should sit down and talk about that and try to figure out a strategy to land you in that, in that way of thinking. So I think that's probably the most profound thing that you've said today, um, because I've been thinking a lot about um, what is it all for anyway? Like, why, what is all... What is, what is all the work and the time away from friend and family uh, and nature? Like, what is it all for? Like, at the end of the day, what is it actually for? Comfort in what? Comfort in uh, a bigger house, a bigger apartment. Comfort in a better tasting meal, potentially. Comfort in feeling confidence because you have a bank account that's fucking big. What is, what is it all for? At the end of the day, what genuinely makes you happy? It's 50-50. What is happiness outside of just accepting? It's 50-50 what you said. What is it all for? 50% of it is, I guarantee you, you and I both chasing demons. The other 50% of it is you know... What demons? Tell me about it. I want to know. What demons? You mean our our mental instability? No, nothing. When you were a child, you had a ridiculous childhood, and you didn't walk out with a really healthy sense of self. Self Self-esteem was damaged. There's no refuting it. The evidence is clear. Mm. It's a fact. So then there's a demon there. Over time, you fix it. You prove to yourself that you're worthy. And that's something that you can go fast at or slow at. But I, I want to just talk about the demon thing because it, I, I like... Demon I'm, I'm, is a stupid word. But no, no, I'd like to hear it. I'd like to, like you said it, you're saying chasing demons. So Chasing what, the sense of low self-esteem and not having a great sense. But chasing it in what way? Chasing it in a way like you're trying to fix it? Chasing it in a way that it scares you? Chasing it in a way, like how are you chasing it? Chasing it is that it's a habit to think a certain way. It's a habit. It's a core belief that we are not worthy. It's a lack and of... And you're an, looking for... You're, you, no, you and, want, it, and it reverberates as anxiety. And so we're trying to quiet the anxiety. So by picking up a cigarette, smoking uh, uh, weed, drinking alcohol, drinking too much alcohol, getting drunk, buying a Ferrari, going skydiving, getting married, a beautiful wife, doing a podcast, buying more clothes, getting more sneakers, getting more tattoos, combing your hair the right way. It's all a giant distraction from the truth. Now those things don't go away. You're not going to stop and no one's recommending it that you stop bathing but just become aware of what the fuck you're doing. That is a teaching, motherfucker. <laughs> and I know how to school you. But how are you, how are you living through life now? Well, you know what? I'm working my ass off. I'm, 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 I, For I, what? Because I have bills to pay, and I have a lifestyle I've become accustomed to. I dropped it down a lot of notches. I'm fortunate in one way that I can say I've touched certain successes. I've touched them in my hands. I've said, oh, I have this thing. And I laughed at it and said, it doesn't matter. I learned how to do that from my father. My father was like that. My dad wanted a Rolls Royce and pinky rings. And when he bought one in 1985, he actually told me, this is the most depressing moment of my life because I have it now and I'm not any happier. And he went back to buying, he went back to a Cadillac Eldorado, which is still a big luxury, but it's a step down for him. So for me, I would say definitely, oh, poor me that I'm not buying a $70 million complex in the Hamptons and I have to deal with my smaller thing that I have, but it's relative to the person. So I'd say for myself, was I don't have any ambition 
to be on a list of wealthy people. I don't no longer desire on the weekends driving around in a car and saying, people look at me. I don't want that. That's not who I am. I wanted that as a teenager. Unfortunately, it spread too deep. What do you want? I want to, I want to be able to educate my children. I want to be able to travel and enjoy things with my wife. Uh, I want to have savings. And I also want to be creative. I love what money can do for me today because what it allows me to do is find fun and creative ways to deliver compassion and kindness, something I've always done. It's not something new. Thank God I didn't just go over the deep end because I made a few dollars. I've always been like this. I've always wanted to help you. If I have extra money now, I can do it with a postcard. I can write a book. I can pay for a podcast. I can have a parachute that says, wake the fuck up and fly it around in the city. That's how I see money now. I see it as a tool to continue to help my friends and others to wake up, because that's really all there is. What is do. that? What is wake up? You are an enlightened being. You have light inside of you. All living creatures do. We are the only creatures that go to sleep because of our conditioning. This isn't Buddhist teachings. I've never read a Buddhist book in my life. It's just something I sense within me. I recognize it because I understand what it was like to be asleep and then to slowly start to wake up. It is a constant struggle to stay awake because the senses of the body and the cravings of the body are constantly pulling me back into delusion. So I have to focus on a constant basis to remain awake, awake to the truth of what I actually am and not what I think I should be or what I want to become. It's a very difficult message to give to young people because the body is extremely hungry. And the ego is running the show. Why do you think it has to do with age? I've said it before. As the body contracts, the consciousness expands, mostly for most people, especially those who are trying. There's awake people everywhere, very conscious of it now, as I begin to wake up. And I'm not ashamed to say that, by the way. It's considered a taboo in the yoga community to say you're waking up, even though that's the thing everyone's striving for. Don't even dare go there. I'm not afraid to say what awake feels like. It's not that complicated. I don't have lightning that comes out of my hand. It's just suddenly the ability to be present. Because that's the only reality. Nothing else exists. You don't have a past. It's gone. Where is it? What's your future? Nothing. And all the mind, all the shit swirling around your head, it's all illusion. It's nonsense. It doesn't mean anything. So what else is there? It's sitting present in the moment. It's the things I can enjoy now that I never enjoyed before. Like, I get emotional just watching birds flying over the ocean. Some people have that when they're five. Some people have it when they're 20. I didn't. I had too many distractions. I couldn't see the beauty, the miracle of grass growing in the sand or just life itself, how it all flows, and what am I doing in it. Very exciting things to Is think about. Is there a moment that you can point to that actually when you were like, when the switch went off? Like, is there a, uh, an experience that you had? I mean, you definitely, there's something that has absolutely changed uh, for sure. And I'm just curious to know if there's like a moment in time that you can point to that it was like, holy shit. No, it's a very long road. It began when I first picked up a cigarette butt off the street when I was a kid to smoke it. I was seeking transcendence from my ordinary pain and suffering. And that cigarette had something in it. 
and it worked for a moment. I felt better. Except it was a very unskillful, ridiculous attempt because there's a consequence to toxifying the body and there's no meaning in it. So my journey for 35 years after that was to find a more skillful thing to lean on that didn't toxify my body or that didn't put me deeper to sleep. And that was meditation? It's not, it's not, meditation is just a vehicle and it's just a cliche. To think that you have to sit silent somewhere fully erect with your spine up in darkness with a candle in the background with mantras, nothing wrong with that. There's a pathway to that. But it's not the only condition. Meditation could happen when you're walking, where you're just thinking of the breath and you're in the present moment. You're not in the future where you're going and you're not drowning in all of your thoughts. I watch it all the time in my 12-year-old. I know when she's present, and I know when she drifts off into another moment. I can see why children do it. They don't have that kind of control over their mind yet. So it's definitely an important practice. You know, I don't mean to crack it over your head like, you know, in this format, but why not? I want to be different than your other guests. I'll, I'll, I'll lean back. We'll talk about success. Well, you know, in 1997, when I, when I conquered my first business. <laughs> You're actually, do you, you think that I would talk like that to you? No, but you played into your, your age there for a moment. You actually, there was a sign of like, there could be, if you were wearing like a, if you were wearing a, a collared button down shirt and a V-neck sweater play that over part it, all the time. with a fucking pair of khakis and some loafers, I, you would, I just saw it for the first time in my life. What, what, Incredible. Good, what, what does the world need another form of entertainment, something as a distraction. You, when you watch the news at night, and you listen to people, the rhetoric, the constant conversation, the nonsense, it's not helping things along. It's not moving things along. If the world's problem today, and maybe we should conclude, it's your choice, it's your show, but if the world's problems today, let's say the big one is global warming, mm. what is the solution to that? Is it to turn on more air conditions and cool off the earth? while other people on the other side are heating it back up. If you want to empty out the oceans of plastic and pollution, if you have great machines that can lift them out on the left side of the earth, I guarantee you on the other side of the earth, they're putting it right back in. So really, the solution is... Move to the moon. No, it's one by one, each individual human has to wake up. There's no other solution. I think we should end there, man. Marcus, you're a fucking gentleman and a scholar. Thanks for having and me. And I still think, I mean, I'm always going to think you're a little nuts, but that's just, you know. You know what? I accept that I'm nuts because look at yourself in the mirror. You're nuts too. If I'm crazy, you're the same fucking crazy. Dude, we're we're nuts. wearing the same exact costume. We're nuts. And I guarantee you we do the same things that are both balanced and both crazy. The certain way of thinking about life that to me is insanity and there's a way of being clear. And I know for a fact that it's a daily mission for me to make sure that I wake up on the side of the bed, that I open my eyes and say, oh, I'm alive and I'm awake. And then take action that keep me alert and awake versus shit that just puts me back to sleep. And you know what, if I'm asleep, I guarantee you with the kind of work I'm capable, I'll wake up with billions. I'll be 83 years old, and when I drop dead, the only people at my funeral will be lawyers. They'll be the only ones grieving because there's no one to bill by the hour. I think you were born, man. I think you were born this way. <laughs> Let's end there.